Today's shiur is dedicated by her family in memory of Shoshana Bat Shalomo Alayha Shalom, who passed away two weeks ago. KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. And today is Tuesday, shiur in Parshat Hashavua, Parshat Vayeshev. This is Ezra Beck, and I'll be giving the shiur today. In Parshat Vayeshev, very dramatic parsha. Many, many things happen. The most of the story, uh, basically the whole story, the story of the parsha is the story of Yosef, and Yosef is in fact one of the very first words in the parsha after the introductory pasuk. Yaakov, Yosef. The story of Yaakov, or the future of Yaakov, or the children of Yaakov is Yosef, and the story describes from the beginning to the end of the parsha how Yosef is sold into Mitzrayim until the point where he is about to become viceroy to the king. There is one exception. In the middle of what is a continual, continual narrative, we have the story of Yehuda and Tamar. The story clearly and dramatically and abruptly interrupts the story of Yosef. The last thing that happens before the story begins if we turn back to the end of Perak Lamed Zayin, is Vahamidanim machu oto el Mitzrayim potifar sris paro sar hatabachim. The Midanim sell Yosef to Egypt to potifar sris paro sar hatabachim. The next thing you want to know is what happens after he gets there. It's obviously not interesting that Yosef came to Mitzrayim, but this all introduction, and then the next big Perak afterwards, skipping one Perak, because you were interrupted, it has to go back. And Yosef came down to Mitzrayim, which was you already knew, but in order to pick up where we left off, you have to go back. The purpose of the repetition is to continue. If it was simply independent chapters, you could just say, and then the following happened. But if I want to remind you where you were up to, because in fact you were left hanging in tension, then I have to go back and say, Yosef, Yosef was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar bought him. Remember the last pasuk of Lamed Zayin said that he's been taken to Mitzrayim and sold Potiphar. Now it says Yosef has been taken to Mitzrayim and bought, and Potiphar bought him. And then the story keeps, and then the story keeps going. The story of Yehuda, which is Perak Lamed Chet, chapter 38, is, is simply stuck in to the middle of Yosef's trip to Mitzrayim. Our question is, what is it doing? The story is interesting. It might be important. But by placing it in the middle of a carefully crafted dramatic narrative, interrupting it, where you are clearly called to understand the story of Yehuda within the larger context. And in fact, the Pasuk says this more or less explicitly by stressing the beginning of the story of Yehuda, Vayehi ba'itahi the Perak begins by saying, and at that time, which literally means the time of Yosef's sale. Now, it couldn't take place exactly the time of Yosef's sale because Judah was at the sale. So it means immediately afterwards, or perhaps even literally while Yosef is traveling to Mitzrayim. I'm sure it takes some time to go from Shechem to Mitzrayim. It's, it's not a short journey. So, 
during that time, that's when Yehuda went down and the following story, the story uh, with Tamar takes place. Now, obviously, it doesn't take place completely there because it takes place over several years. The beginning of the story is at that time. But the bulk of the story can take place only after Yehuda's children grow up and marry Tamar. Quanta Chazal, the first wedding between Yehuda's oldest child and Tamar took place when he, when Eir, was eight years old, which means at least nine years after the time it took for Yehuda, the time that Yehuda actually went down to uh, the place where he met Batshua and Marina. And then there's the second son who gets married, which might be immediately. And then we wait several years for Sheila to grow up and not be given to uh, Tamar. So we're dealing with at least 12 to 13 year period of time. So now this whole story didn't take place while Yosef was traveling. He means the beginning of the story, but the Pasuk nonetheless is basically telling us that this whole story took place in terms of the story, in terms of the narrative. Yes, at this time, we'll pick up later on, but you need to understand it now. Something takes place in Yuda, which the continuation of the story will make sense only if we understand what has taken place with Yuda now. This he was noticed very by Chazal that it's not merely the parasha took place, but it's important to know that this story took place at that time. Rashi quotes Chazal, Lama Nismacha Parsha Zulakan Vihitsik Parsha Tosha Yosef. The interruption is so, is so bold, the question needs to be asked. Rashi says that it's to tell us that Bayered Yudah Me'etachav Yudah went down from before his brothers, a strange expression. Where, where was he going down? And why was it from before his brothers? So Chazal interpreted to mean that, that, that he lost his, his position, he lost his stature. His brothers demoted him. And that's where he went off on his own and got married and wasn't with all the others. And the reason why he was demoted was because they blamed him for not preventing them from selling Yosef. And they caused so much grief to their father and therefore they blamed him and that's why he was in trouble. As it points out, that explains the first Pasuk, why he left. But what does that have to do with the rest of the Pasha? And Nitziv, more or less as I said before, claims that you have to understand the entire story, specifically the story of Yudah and Tamar, as being Ba'etahi. So perhaps it was provoked by his moving there, which is a direct result of the sale of Yosef. But before we go back to the story of Yosef, the Torah makes sure that we know the story of Yudan Tamar, and that's also Ba'etahi. And that's what we have to now explain. I think that the only way to understand this story, since the story is about Yehuda, is that we have to understand a change in Yehuda, which takes place in this story, which will explain the story of Yosef. The story of Yosef is broken up into two. Before the story of Yudah, we have how Yosef is sold to Mitzrayim. Afterwards, we have Yosef's life in Mitzrayim, the rest of our Pasha, and then in Pashat Miketz, how Yosef is elevated to become the viceroy of Mitzrayim, and he eventually meets his brothers, who come down to buy food. I think that these two parts of the story can be correctly described as 
Yosef's going down to Mitzrayim, and Yosef's meeting his brothers. Now, it's true that his meeting his brothers will take quite a long time, both in years, a very long time in years, 20 years, uh, according to Chazal, by the way they do the uh, math, and, and quite a lot of Sukkim, but nonetheless, the whole story of Yosef in the house of Potiphar, and then spending the time in jail, the, the, the importance of that story is how the brothers will meet the Viceroy of Mitzrayim. And that is the break that takes place now. Yudah has two roles in those two parts of the story. In the first part of the story, the selling of Yosef, Yudah is the villain. He's responsible for Yosef's sale. He's the one who suggested it. He's the one who basically carried it out. So he's the villain of the first part of the story. The second part of the story, which I've defined as being Yosef's meeting his brothers, bringing the brothers down, everything that takes place in that encounter between Yosef and his brothers, Yosef the king, of course, Yosef the viceroy and his brothers, there Yudah is the hero. He is the one who convinces his father to put Binyamin in their hands and go down. He is the one in Pashat Vayigash who eventually convinces, breaks Yosef and, and, and causes the, the, the meeting, the meeting of the minds, the reconciliation of Yosef and his brothers in the eventual meeting with Yaakov, their father. So the, the thing that has changed in these two parts of the stories is Yudah. Now it's true again, we're not going to meet Yudah in the rest of Vayeshev, in the beginning of the second half. And in uh, and, and, and even in Miketz, he's just going to begin to take part. One thing he's going to do there. But, but if we view that as one story, the second half is how Yosef will be placed in a position to meet his brothers and God's will in this whole fantastic story will take place, then Yudah already is a different role. The Torah has a habit, which I spoke about actually when we discussed uh, uh, in the Hebrew Shir, in the Keshet, for those of you who heard it, Pashat Toldot, of placing explanatory facts in the very, very beginning of a story. So Yudah in the second part of the story is Yudah the good guy, Yudah the hero. And the Torah is explaining now how he became that. In other words, the story of Yudah and Tamar is a story of what has changed in Yehuda that causes the so extreme, dramatic change in his personality between he who is responsible for Yosef's sale and he who is eventually responsible for the reunification of the family. Now, the usual explanation or the usual description of the change in Yudah relates to the act. In the first part of the story, Yudah sells his brother, betrays his brother. In the second part of the story, Yudah defends, protects his brother, his brother Binyamin. And so that's the tikkun, that's the correction for the wrong. But I suggest that the, the change we're talking about is not the change between one who is bad to his brothers or one who is good to his brothers. Achva, brotherhood, is a very, very important quality, but I think our parasha is telling us that the change is much, much deeper. It's expressed in what he did with his two brothers. The exact doing, you know, the, the exact idea that it's exactly parallel, that he acts with Benjamin exactly opposite to the way he acts with Yosef, you can view as being like an added value. That, that, that's the irony or, the, or the, the literary beauty, the parallelism. But the true midah, the true thing we're looking for is personality. 
And what is the personality change of Yehuda that we that that will cause him to change from being the villain to the true leader, the true hero of Bnei Israel? If we look at the story of Tamar and Yehuda, I think that it is clear from the most dramatic pasuk found when Tamar is about to be burned. Until now, let's be frank, we haven't seen anything specially uh, improved in Yudah. Without going into the question of what exactly was wrong with Yudah's personality beforehand, which I think is somewhat speculative, but for sure nothing particularly heroic has taken place in Yudah till now. On the contrary, he uh, has met a young woman on the crossroads and he has basically bought her uh, for sexual purposes. Nothing particularly admirable. And now he has condemned Tamar to be burned for her apparent sin in uh, not waiting for Shelah, what we call in Halakha, she was a Shomeret Yabam. The law requires her to wait for uh, Yibum, for the Levit marriage of one of the brothers, of the brother of her last husband. And, and, and she is now going to be burned. And then she says to Yehuda, she takes out the Chotam, Ptil and Mateh, the seal the ptil, ptil means a string. The Targum says it's a uh, article of clothing. I, I think it would be safe to say that I think it was a scarf. The Nitziv more or less is the same thing. He says that it, uh, the Targum says that it's a simla, but it couldn't be the whole simla, the whole dress, the whole robe. Uh, why would he give her his robe? So it's some addition to the robe that's easy to take off, which is called the ptil. But the word ptil actually means a string. If you have a tzitzit, are called ptil. So I, I, I think Based on the tzib, it, 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 to be both a robe and a string, I think it's a scarf, which, again, the idea being that the chotam and the mater, the last thing is a staff, these aren't necessarily practical articles. They're articles which signify the fact he's a very important person. His seal, it's like his seal of office. His mater, he wasn't an old man, but, but distinguished people walk with a, like a walking stick till a few generations ago, the staff in the ancient time. And so the till also is a, some sort of a mark of respect. It's like a, a special kind of a scarf in addition to one's regular clothing. And so she pulls them out, which he had given her as the security, and says to him, Hakerna Hakerna Recognize to whom does the chotemet, the seal, the scarf, and the staff belong? Now, this is so clearly a reference to the previous parsha. One, one cannot possibly miss it. Chazal, in fact, already pointed out, hakerna, recognize, please, is an expression that appears only twice in the Torah. One parak earlier, the brothers had slaughtered a sheep and dipped Yosef's ketonet, the special garment that Yaakov had given Yosef, the ketonet pasim, They had dipped it in the blood of the sheep, presented it to Yaakov, to his father, and they said to him, Hakerna haktonet binchahi imlo. Recognize, is this the ketonet, the robe of your son or not? It doesn't say Yudah had done that, but Yudah was responsible for the sale, and the brothers did this together. Hakerna, the misleading of Yaakov. 
They said to Yaakov, recognize, but of course he's going to misrecognize. He's going to say correctly, this is Tonid Bani, but of course he will draw the conclusion that if is, this is the robe of my son and it's, and it's stained in blood, then Yosef. A, a, a wild animal has eaten him, he has been devoured. So they are using Yaakov's powers of recognition to mislead him. And now Tamar says in the exact same words, Hakerna, to whom does these articles of clothing or, or these personal articles belong? In both cases, we have the exact same situation and the exact same language. A personal article is presented so that someone can recognize to whom it belongs. It was done to Yaakov to mislead him, to cover up the sale of Yosef. And let's face it, to ruin Yaakov's life. And now, Tamar is saying to Yehuda, the prime mover in that sale, Hakerna. I think, and, and of course, say right away, and what is Yehuda's answer? Vayaker Yehuda, vayomer, tzaddekamimeni ki alkein lo netatia l'shelavani. And Yehuda is makir, he recognizes and says, she is more righteous than me. Or, the way Chazal understood it, she is righteous, she is correct, it is for me. That's the end of the story. Two children are born from the relationship of Yuda and Tamar. We go back to the story of Yosef. So what has taken place here in Yuda? The answer is Vayaker. The change in Yuda is not that Yehuda suddenly loves his brothers. There are no brothers in this story. That will be a result. That will be an expression. But the change in Yehuda, which the next story will be based on, is Vayaker. Yehuda has learned to recognize. What is the recognition? Hakarat ha'emet. To see the truth. I think what, Chazat, what, the, what the Pasuk is saying here, as we understand it, is that Yehuda did not recognize till now. Yehuda was the one who suggested selling his brother. Again, the context is brotherhood. But let's see what happened when Yehuda sold his brother. If you recall, when Yosef first reached his brothers in Dotan, and they saw him coming, so they said to each other, no particular speaker, one said to his brother, this dreamer is coming, let us go and kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we'll say an evil, a, a wild animal ate him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. Who did they see coming? That's his name. They recognized him as being the dreamer. He's not called their brother. And then, Yehuda, I skipped the line, Ruvain says, let's not kill him. Don't kill a person. Do not slay, do not spill blood. We will throw him into a pit and the Torah says he's planning to save him. Again, nobody, neither Ruvain nor the Isha Lachiv, has thought of Yosef as being their brother. He's the dreamer. Ruvain just calls him him. Lo nakenu nefesh. Let us not strike him. Yehuda says to his brothers, Mabetza ki naharoget achinu 
פרק ל"ז, פסוק כ"ו, מבצע כי נהרוג את אחינו וכיסינו את דמו. What will we gain from killing our brother and covering up his blood? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, but our hands shall not strike him, shall not be responsible. Why? For he is our brother, our flesh. Now it appears, it appears, if you don't see the context and the content of what he's saying, that the brothers don't see Yosef as a brother. Reuven doesn't see him as a brother. Reuven sees him as someone who, let us not kill a soul. He's just a soul. You're not going to kill anybody. Yehuda is the first one to realize that Yosef is a brother. And he says, let us not kill him, for he is our brother, our flesh. Isn't that wonderful? Yehuda perceives that Yosef is a brother. But I think the Pasuk is saying the exact opposite. Because what does Yehuda propose? He proposes that let us not strike him directly, we'll merely sell him to the Ishmaelim, who will sell him as slave to Egypt, the house of bondage, as we know from the future, where he will live out the rest of his life, his undoubtedly short and difficult life, as a slave in the land of slavery. Think of what happened to the slaves that we know of. B'nai Israel in the beginning of Shemot miserable avodat perech life that they live building monuments to Paro. So it's true we're not killing him in our hands. Now, the difference between putting our hands killing him, yadeinu al tehivo, let us just hand him over to the Ishmaelim and they'll take care of him for us, is an important halachic difference. Yes, it's true that there's a difference legally a very legal mind is the difference between directly killing somebody and merely selling him to someone else who will sell him off to be a slave in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the coal mines of, of, of Peru for the, together with the Aztecs for the Spaniards or whatever. The, the, the pits of Mitzrayim. There is a technical legal difference. But if he's your brother, there's no difference whatsoever. Morally they're the same. And the point of if he's just anybody, then maybe there's a difference. I don't think it's that great a difference, but there's some sort of a legal difference. But if you're dealing with your brother, ki achinu he's our brother, he's our flesh, then what Yehuda is saying is off the wall. It's perverse. Because he's our brother, and, and we have a special relationship with him, so let's not choke him, we'll just sell him into slavery. The point is that the words of Yehuda are almost ironic. They're almost, they're almost, they're, they're, the, the, his recognition that he's their brother is non-recognition. The Torah is stressing, he doesn't understand the words he's saying. Yudah, unlike the brothers, perhaps hasn't forgotten that Yosef is his brother, but he mocks the words that he's saying. He's saying, I'm not going to kill my brother by stabbing him, I'm merely going to sell him to the Egyptians. To the Ishmaelim who will sell him to the Egyptians. The word vayaker, recognition, doesn't mean to know the facts. Hakara means deeper understanding. Yuda has no understanding of brotherhood, but I don't think that's in fact the, the chet, or the, the personality trait. That's the chet, but it's not the personality trait. The personality trait is Yuda doesn't have deeper understanding. He doesn't have hakara. In the context, yes, it's true. 
He sinned by not recognizing the moral implications of brotherhood. And he will correct it in the story of Binyamin in Parshat Vayigash, in, 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 in Miketz and Vayigash, when he will recognize the meaning of brotherhood. That's, in terms of actions, that's the tikkun. But in terms of personality, in terms of the cause of the actions, it's even deeper. He doesn't recognize and he will recognize. And therefore, in the story of Tamar, what's important is that he recognizes. He doesn't recognize his bonds of brotherhood with Tamar. He doesn't save Tamar because she's his brother, which she's not, or because she's his daughter-in-law, which is apparently doesn't, doesn't really matter for much. On the contrary, if she's his daughter-in-law, then she's somehow sinned against his family by not waiting for Shela. But he recognizes something else. He recognizes that she's correct, that she's just, that he's wrong. The point is, he looks beyond the immediate facts, the quick facts. He's judged Tamar, he's condemned to the death because he hasn't really delved into the depth of the matter. And now, he has realized, with a smack in the face that Tamar has given him, that he's superficial, that he doesn't really look deep, that he doesn't take a full understanding of his relationship with his brothers and with his daughter-in-law, with the people around him and with the power he has apparently as a prince among the people to these people who are this, this strange woman who is, who is his daughter-in-law. And now, by, by recognizing, recognition is the first step, the main step in taking responsibility. The difference between Yehuda before this and after this is a question of responsibility. Yehuda is always the leader. Fact, his suggestion to the brothers is adopted but he takes no responsibility. On the contrary, he says, Wait, we're not going to kill him, because then we'll be responsible. Let's just sell him. Apparently, thinking in his own mind, we're not responsible then for his death. He's avoiding responsibility by selling Yosef. And in the story of Binyamin, he takes upon himself, he says to Yaakov, I guarantee Binyamin's return. I am responsible on my life. And then he says to Yosef, I will be the slave to you rather than Binyamin because I take responsibility. What is the cause of responsibility? Hakara, recognition. This I think is proven by a further comparison between the two Hakerna. The two Hakerna. When the brothers say to Yaakov, Hakerna, we find the Pasuk, they say to Yaakov, Hakerna, Haktonet bin Chayhi Imlo. Recognize, is this the Garment of your son or not? Next pasuk, vayakira, and he recognized it, meaning the garment. He said, "This is the garment of my son." Okay, they say to him, "Recognize. Look at this garment. Recognize. Is it the garment of your son?" Answer, and he recognized it and said, "It is the garment of my son." By Yehuda, she Tamar says to Yehuda. Recognize to whom does this seal, scarf, and staff belong? What should have been the next pasuk if it was parallel to Yaakov? And he recognized them. And he said, they are mine. What does it say in the Torah? Not he recognized it, but he recognized. And he says, she is correct. She is just. She is more just than I. In other words, Yaakov, recognize, they told him, recognize the garment. He recognized the garment. 
She said, recognize the garments or recognize these articles of these personal articles of attire. And he recognized. He didn't recognize them. Of course he recognized them. But we want to know is not that he recognized them, but that he recognized. By Yakel Yuda, the verb comes with a direct object, which frankly makes no sense. And Yehuda recognized. You gotta recognize something, you can't just recognize. But yes, Yehuda recognized, meaning he now recognized everything. And he said, Tzadakami many, aside from recognizing the seal, scarf, and staff, he recognized the whole value system. He recognized himself that he was wrong. He recognized her that she was right. He recognized the relationship of Sheila, his son, and Erev Onan. He developed recognition. He developed insight. He developed the need to look deeply in order to decide what should I really be doing. I condemned the woman, but I was wrong to condemn this woman because she is many. She is more righteous than I. And it's not enough to condemn somebody because they've apparently done something wrong and you're angry at them. You're affronted. The Nitziv especially points out that part of uh, uh, Yaakov's reaction to the story of Tamar, uh, part of Yudah's reaction to the story of Tamar, he says that to be burnt is because of the affront to his family honor. Since when do we burn women who are uh, halachically, it's not correct? Shomeret Yabamba, a woman who is waiting for Yibum, is not uh, is not killed if she doesn't wait. It's just a love. It's not a... Uh, you get malkot. It's not a death penalty. And... Uh, uh, then Sif points out that there are explanations built into the story to show what an important person Yudah was and, and how, and that's why he's particularly affronted his family honor by what she apparently has done. Uh, so he's reacting out of, out of honor. He's reacting like he acted before, instinctively, emotionally. You're angry at your safe, get rid of him. You're angry at Tamar, burner. But now, Vayaker, you recognize value. You realize your judgments have to be based on something else. And I think ultimately you recognize responsibility. And he takes the responsibility on himself. Tzadakami many. I am responsible. This all came about because of me. Me many. It's all for me. This all started because I didn't give her Shayla. I'm responsible. And if I'm responsible, I have to take responsibility, not uh, uh, put it on somebody else. And then, Peretz and, and, uh, and Zerach are born which Chazal understand as being, we now continue on the story of the eventual Machut. Peretz is the father of the house of David, stressed in the story of Ruth, which is so similar to the story. Both are birth stories, where the house of David is described as being Beit Peretz. When the, uh, they give the Bacha to Boaz and to Naomi, the women, so they say that this new woman, Ruth, will give birth to the grandfather, of David is like Beit Peretz. Yudah gets back, or begins now really, the whole purpose of the story technically looks like to explain why Peretz is being born. In other words, it's explaining on long range why Yehuda is the father of David Melech. Chazal claim in a beautiful Midrash that it comes to explain why Yudah is the father of the eventual Mashiach. And that's very Jewish, but it explains why Yudah is Yehuda person who will save Binyamin, which is the reason why Yudah is the king, is the leader, and the father of David, and the father of the father of the Mashiach, the grandfather of the Mashiach Tzitkenu, in the future. Now the story can go back to Yosef who went and the real purpose of the story is to explain how the Jews come to Mitzrayim, how the Jews are reunited as one family, 
in Mitzrayim because they take responsibility for each other. Who is the, who is the one who's going to do that? It's going to be Yudah. You've gotten, you've understood what happened to the personality of Yudah, the individual, when facing Tamar. Now we can continue with our story, the real story of Breshit, the real story of Parshat, Vayeshev, Mikitz, Vayigash, Vayechi, which is Beit Yisrael, the house of Israel, the children of Israel, coming together to form one nation, truth in Egypt, and not in Israel, so that we can get to Shemot, and then they'll, and then they'll come back. The key to the dramatic shift in this story is the shift in Yehuda. The key to the shift in Yehuda is this woman Tamar who forces him to face up to his own responsibilities to to others. And that's the importance of Tamar. Tamar is a crucial individual in our story because she, in effect, is the one who has caused the change which will allow our story to conclude successfully when Yehuda will take responsibility for all of the children of Israel, the children of Yaakov, and bring about the reunification of the twelve tribes, hence the creation of the one house, Ish Uveitobao, the one house of Israel, which will then eventually leave Mitzrayim, receive the Torah, and come to Eretz Israel. Thank you. Koltov. This has been KMTT. We're back next week with another Pashat HaShavua. And tomorrow, continue with the regular set of Shurim. Koltov.